The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Fucking... two-man power trip of wrestling i'm your host jp john pause for another edition of who is of course joining me is the second man in the booth the doctor himself mr j michael p.s jargo michael how you doing doing fantastic pause thanks for having me back looking forward to today's show looking forward to sitting down with you and my favorite huckleberry let's do another one from the yamasaki corporation down there in Cincinnati, Ohio, he's, of course, Mr. TMPT, Mr. HMG, Mr. RBV. Rick, what's going on? How you doing? Gentlemen, great to be back with you again. Another episode of Who Is on the two-man power trip with the triple threat ready to talk about the iconic group of four. And then we're not talking about the Yamazaki Corporation, although we, they, they will be brought up with your boy Hiro Matsuda, your mentor there. We're going to be talking all about the four... Horsemen, who yeah, is the yeah. best four horsemen group? But the four horsemen, you know, one of the first uh, groups inside of professional wrestling to experience the corporate buyout, thanks to the uh, Yamazaki Corp. Also, thanks to Vincent Kennedy McMahon as well. But that's, uh, I'm sure we'll get into that in, in a little bit of kind of what happened with the, the breakup of the horsemen. But really, when you say four horsemen, you think of probably arguably the greatest faction of all time. Some people say NWO, some people say horsemen. Idiots probably say DX and real fools probably say New Day or something like that. But well, no, no, real idiots fans will say the elite. Uh, but yes. oh god, yes, that that goes without saying. Yes, but the four horsemen. Let's start off with the original. Let's start off with the first four members of the group: Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Ole Anderson, Tully Blanchard. The four horsemen, of course, with manager at James J. Dillon. Is this the greatest four horsemen group of all time or not? I don't have them as the greatest, um, possibly the most influential group of all time, because the horsemen, as far as I can remember, were the first faction that really got over as far as like a nationwide kind of feeling like the horsemen were the cool heels that all of them ran together and everybody kind of had their role inside of the group. And it was like, wow, this could really, really work. And of course, now we've seen factions get used to absolute death. And of course, in Japan, they're, they're, they're 
set up completely differently. You've got all the teams, but now even inside of AEW, I think they've got what 13 factions going on inside of AEW Mm -hmm. right now. And it all kind of started with the horsemen, but what made it such a cool group is you've got your heavyweight title guy, you've got your U S title guy, and then you've got your tag team title guys. And it was like, wow, these guys could actually be running around with all of the gold and just the horror that would come along with all the bad guys all being together with all the gold was such a, such a cool concept that seemed so foreign at the time i i I have them on the probably the most influential but not Hmm. my favorite iteration of the horseman Uh, how you lay out the opening there to introduce the original group that is known as the horseman uh and yeah of course you know throughout the territories of different regions you're in yeah we had some incredible faction stables stars running together absolutely just powerhouses that were dominating their areas but when you see this the the four horsemen the original coming together i mean we look across sports now if it's the nfl major league baseball the nba whatever it might be you know we're talking about the stacked all-star teams and that's what you had with the horsemen at the time and it went national and as you said it's just not that you've got somebody representing each of the major classes inside of professional wrestling. You have got stars, mega star power at each of those levels. And absolutely it drew people in here. Hey, let's not leave him out. You know, we've got the four players, but you had an incredible coach. I mean, it would have been like, you know, assembling this cast of all-stars and bringing in, you know, Phil Lombardi, whoever the case might be there. And JJ Dillon, you had the perfect storm and all the attention in the, in the wrestling world, you know, is upon these gentlemen. I am going to also agree here. Yes, it is at this time. The magnitude is unbelievable. It's simply incredible. But there is slight room for tweaking inside of this first group to kind of take them to that next level to meet the perfect horseman group. To me, like you said, most influential. When you ask some of the guys, like the actual horsemen themselves, they said you can't get better than the original. So I always kind of think like, yeah, that is true to an extent, but I don't know. Maybe the horseman could be the exception to that rule here because both of you guys are saying it might not be the best one. A lot of the guys involved are saying it is, can't get better than the original, but I kind of leaning towards you guys and thinking that maybe it isn't the best one. You know what I mean? Like maybe the, the original guys are just saying that because they're the originals, but I don't know. Well, I think in any case, when you have a formula like this, and, and this lays the blueprint, this is the foundation, this is where you would see success and even failure in the different creations of the horsemen. You got to stick to this blueprint. And it's and when you're debating as having these types of discussions, yes, it's obviously hard to maybe see anyone surpass that original plan, that original group. Jargo, I know you're sitting there thinking, hmm, what is the best one? But let's not, we don't have to necessarily stay in order, but I just wanted to go in order just for here because I love this group. I don't know how many people are mentioning it, but when Luger replaces Ole and they turn on Ole, you know, he literally is going home and going to go hang out with his son and it's going to go son's wrestling and all this other stuff and really be more of a family man. Luger takes his place. He's a rookie pretty much not really, but in the grand scheme of things on a national scale, he's a rookie that came out of nowhere who just looks like a million bucks. What do you, you know, put Flair, Arn Tully and Luger as far as being one of the greatest horsemen? See now to me, this was an upgrade because as good as Tully was as a single, Arn and Tully together is what really, really pushes it for me. And then you add in Luger into the United States title scene, 
So you have a little bit of a shifting inside of the group, the dichotomy of everybody inside of it. But when you look at it as a total package, pun intended, I feel like Luger was an absolute major upgrade for the group. No disrespect to Oli. But when you're looking at, you know, the horseman gimmick, what the horsemen meant, were the elite of the elite. I just thought Luger was a much better fit. I have to completely agree with Jargo on this one here. When and we're talking about the that's that slight tweak that you needed, and and it did come down to Ole. It is what you had here. It's something you know his, his legendary career, what he meant to professional wrestling, just I mean, the brilliant mind you know for the times of what he brought to the table. Is we're talking about those super teams. You have got this is the original elite, and yeah. they are they are oh, at the time and, and throughout all the years. You know, they who's the leader there? Flair. And they have the flash and the flair. They are a run and gun go team. And you kind of have Ole that's kind of that old school, doesn't like to throw the ball. He's that ground and pound. He's more of that fullback style. So now you got this flashy new toy that you bring inside of Lex Luger. I don't have this group near the at the top of mine either. I, I might give the slight edge because of just the, the importance and what they really meant time in the formation. I do agree that Luger's an upgrade, but again, when he comes in here, Luger's look, his potential, uh, what you can see from what could be the stardom there, you know there's going to be trouble. You know this is not for the long run because there's a little too much of where he is stepping into the role of Flair. Now, I do agree the biggest the biggest impact that we have here is that Tolly gets that shift yep. where he's not necessarily had to be focused as that single star in that mid-card thing where he can be better utilized and you complement his skill set along with Arn Anderson to seriously upgrade your tag situation as well. I mean, so I, I just, I, I thought Luger looked great there as that young kid, but you just knew that something was going to give and break at some point. For me, I, I'm with you, Rick. I think the Tully move is the big move because as good as Arn and Oli were together, they weren't Arn and Tully. And and Arn was a great wrestler. Tully was a great wrestler. But the combination of them together, you're talking a top five tag team of all time. Like they just had that incredible chemistry together that was even better than Arn and Oli. Which while it was great, Arn and Tully were just so much better. And I think to, you know we can go back. You, you look at what Tully had with with Magnum Arn, and you know his run really really defining. A lot of people would just associate Arn with the television championship. What he was able to do there is singles throughout his career. But ultimately, when you ask a lot of fans, even those that you know were around then that have done their studying that know their history, you think of these two first and foremost as amazing tag team wrestlers. Absolutely. And the other thing I like too is when you looked at the group and you look at the original four, they had that similar kind of build and look and background. You bring Lex in and suddenly there's a real hierarchy where it was like, you know, the original horseman, it felt like, you know, it was kind of a, a more all for one, one for all, like this is a democracy kind of thing. We're all on even playing fields. Once Luger came in, it was very, very clear. Flair is the leader. This is the tag team. And this is the guy number two. Whereas before it felt more like a unit. Now it was becoming more of a power structure inside of the horsemen. Plus, it was like really the first time we saw them take this guy who's green, but has an awesome look, mm -hmm. has so much potential 
in interject him and put him in a group, give him all that learning, give him all that experience, but most importantly, give him the rub of Flair, Arn, and Tully, and boom, you created a new star. That was a formula that you know, you know everyone uses after and copies it, but that was really the first time that we saw that formula used on the national scale like that. I mean, and, and really a global scale because all of a sudden Luger is a household name everywhere because he's associated with the Four Horsemen. But it's also the thing that kind of holds this incarnation back for me because like Luger sticks out of this group, like a sore thumb to me, you know, like even just to look at the pictures of the group together. And it's like, he just, it's cool, but something just doesn't feel right about Lex Luger being inside of the four horsemen, even before, like, I almost feel like Luger would have been a better horseman 10 years after he was a horseman than he was necessarily in 1987. It's also the thing that holds this incarnation back from the top spot for me. So when you look at this group, it's like, okay, Ole gets replaced by Luger. They stay strong. And then war games comes about, you know, and then they start doing the war game stuff. So I feel like a lot of people, even more so than Ole, because war games would have been their first exposure. And really, I mean, that's kind of when NWA blew up a bit when they did go on the great American bash tour. But a lot of that is, you know, Luger being a part of the group and people thinking like shit Luger horseman so in my mind sometimes like you said it might be an upgrade just because I always think of war games I'm like wait shit who's that match and you're like oh yeah Luger not only so right to me it gets a little bit of upgrade just because of the situations he was put in and the matches he was put in it could be it obviously it's all timing but it just was a great matter of circumstance for him it's like shit this guy was in the first war games you know and he's a part of that he's part of history forever with that so to me a little bit even though i love the original group with Oli, to me it's like well luger it's associated with some epic epic matches yeah no i completely agree and i feel like the other thing that this one did and i we're going to talk about the sting thing here very very shortly I don't think anybody would have bought the Sting thing whatsoever if it wasn't for the Luger incarnation of the Horseman. It was like, oh, they're doing this again. And then, of course, we know how it would work out. But I feel like this laid the seeds for the Sting thing, which to me is still one of the greatest angles in all of professional wrestling history. Yes. Before we get there, let's first talk about possibly the greatest incarnation of the group. Flair Arn Tully, and they add Barry Windham. If you want to go by work rate, and I've asked all the horsemen this, you want to go by work rate, can't get better than those four. Unbelievable. Like, if you look at the roster, okay, these are the four best workers in the roster. Maybe the four best workers in the business, and they're all in the same organization. Oh, and they're all in the same team. So what about Barry Windham being thrown thrown into the fold? Barry Windham was the perfect upgrade, right? Like, mm-hmm. all of a sudden everything clicks like you you got the luger thing and it just it doesn't quite fit you know who fits barry windham barry windham fit into the horseman like a freaking glove the look the style the swagger everything about it i love this version of the horseman um and but i it helps i'm a huge barry windham mark too you know so i it was and it was something for barry windham who was kind of struggling flying on his own at this point inside wcw too well, you look at what this really does for Wyndham as well. I mean, this, you know, yeah. it propels him into, we could argue for a period here in the in the late 80s, early 90s, he becomes the top wrestler in the world. Uh, and it's, you know, attributed to this association here with the horsemen. I've got these guys coming into our conversation. Uh, I've been persuaded before to change my mind, but coming in, this is my number one group. Uh, the collection of horsemen that we've seen together. Jargo, again, you're exactly right on this. This is 
where you needed that shift with Tully. You've got that perfectly in place with your, your set on the, the tag direction. Flair, again, representing at the top. He is the ultimate representative as the, as the NWA's champion. You needed that the key element was who was going to fit the, the perfect mold for that second spot and where Luger is, you know, you're looking at him like at any time this guy's going to want to break into the main event. He screams, and I know we're going to get to him here with Sting, he, but he screams as well more sports entertainment, Vince McMahon style. You put Wyndham in here. Now you truly have got a class of its own that represents across the board what the NWA, the territory, the Southern style represented. And again, you've got absolute workhorses. This is the true standouts, the elite of the elite. You know, just not inside the NWA, but professional wrestling. It was always one of those things where it was like, do the horsemen really like to hang out with Luger? Like when they go to when they go to leave at the end of the night, like do all four of those guys get into the same car and start going down the road together? Because Luger just doesn't seem like he fits in that car. Barry Wyndham fit in that car. Well, I, I think this is really when you look at you know what, and years later the comparisons could be made because it was you know a modern era of that is evolution. You know when we we've seen the, the cuts that never made it to air when they had Jinjack in there, yeah, and they replace him, and they're like, "Well, let's put Batista in there." So it was that it, almost that same exchange where you make that that slight tweak, and, and you find that perfect storm. And I've got I've got this group as my top class of horsemen. So are you saying that Evolution was possibly a copy off of the Four Horsemen? Is that what you're saying there? Uh, I, I wouldn't say, well, I mean, what great artist, you know, good artists create great artists sample and make it their own. And, and that's exactly what you have there. I mean, hell, when, when we get to sting, you can see direct correlations in there. I mean, it's pretty much the telling of Randy Orton in the sting role. Yeah. Evolution with flair in the only role too. If you think about it. And obviously triple H is, is the old flair. Right. Love it. Batista was on, basically, the enforcer of the group. I loved it. Great. I thought it was just a really smart move by them. I don't know if Jindrak would have fit, though. But I did hear that Jindrak and Orton used to party together like crazy. So we know away from the ring they were they were friendly. But that might not have been good for the group dynamic. Well, it is, I mean, part. you even go look at, you know, the photos that have been released of Jindrak. And, you know, walking yeah. along oh, yeah. when they're in the suits and all that. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't have that same vibe, that same energy that you got when Batista was was plugged into that. So whoever, and and I've heard there's been different people taking credit for, you know, kind of maneuvering and putting things together there. Uh, But I heard Arn, you know, played a a role in that there with suggestions. So whoever was responsible for that move, yeah, absolutely hit it out of the park. And it's similar to what we see here when you you plug Wyndham in. And it's one of those things now where you look back on it and you're like, of course you take Batista. But at that point, I could see where Gentrack and Batista, kind of the same dude in Vince McMahon's eyes. But I, I agree with both of you guys. It was absolutely the right call putting Batista in that spot instead. Well, you know, look, Dan Batista absolutely looks like a million bucks. But up to that point, uh, he is a river monster that emerged from the Ohio River right. in OVW. And then he's, uh, you know, the preacher's assistant. So it could have been easy to overpass him, you know, looking at that. Think about Jindrak, as as he put it when I interviewed him. He said that Triple H hated him and did not like him in the group. Really? And he was a horrible influence on 
um, on Orton, and then it was Triple H's call to put Batista in the group and get rid of him. Vince originally, who wanted the group, wanted Jindrak in there, but Triple H talked him out of it, said he didn't fit the group, that Orton was going to become a problem if, if him and Jindrak were hanging out too much. So basically was leaned into the certain direction and Vince bought into it and it worked out. Sometimes, you know, these guys complaining and bitching and moaning and, you know, it, sometimes you're like, oh, wow, that didn't work out. Triple H burying all these guys obviously didn't work out. Um, him thinking he's this gigantic star when he was just the guy who worked with the guy. That didn't quite work out. And then he's look at the Jindrak thing. It's like, maybe that kind of did work out because Batista fit perfectly. And the Batista Triple H feud was like a perfect continuation of what they were doing there. I, I thought it worked out well for them. Yeah, I thought it was a really, really smart pairing, a very, very smart faction. Everything was represented inside of it. And Batista brought in the size that was kind of lacking inside of the group where Batista just looked like a monster. Jintrak would have just kind of blended in. Yep. Too much of the same thing. So you were talking about the Stinger. What about when Sting joins the Horsemen? But this time, Oli's back. So Oli, Arn, Flair, and Sting are basically the four Horsemen this time around. This was... <laughs> I, I don't even know how to explain it. And, and maybe it's because you're biased because you know what happens, right? But my problem with this version of the Horsemen is they were all baby faces. That's, That's the one. problem. That's number one. And that just doesn't work. I mean, when you look at the Horsemen and, and what they represented, the way that they rolled, it just it didn't work with them as baby faces. It, it never worked. Well, the thing I, that I, I love the most, though, is... Like, okay, Sting's in there, like you said. It's like, okay, this now he's getting the push. Okay, this is interesting. Like, there's another guy, like the Luger role. Like, another, okay, let's see where they go from here. And obviously, I think they hit a home run uh, minus the Sting injury, but I think they were hitting a home run with the start of it. I remember I going back, putting myself in, you know, little RBV shoes. I remember watching this thing, and it just felt off. Because, I mean, you, you were taught at the time, man, I, I hate the horseman. You know, yeah. they, they are, man. You, you just absolutely wanted to despise these guys. And now the ultimate hero, the, the truest baby of babies, the hottest up and comer, the stinger is involved with them. It's just they didn't they didn't work as as babies. And, and in turn, it just I thought it hurt sting. I and agree. Then you, you ultimately you and you, you get where they pay off that we can make the you know, comparison to what we saw in evolution all those years later, where I thought that was a good story there because, you know, it did once, the, and if it was meant, you know, if they had this thing planned out, kudos to them. And if they had to realize it right away, this isn't working. we got to come up with something. Sting wins the, the opportunity to challenge for the, the, the top championship. Hey, I, I think it was great then to reestablishing the horsemen as heels because they were starting to, you know, even, you know, even in their heel runs, some of the fans there, the smarter ones, your Southern fans, were starting to cheer them, rally behind them. So this did reestablish them as those no-good bastards. It did help, help elevate Sting. So I think overall the storytelling had a tremendous payoff. But while they were together as a collective unit, it wasn't very effective. And even going back, you, you look at Luger, I made the comparison there, that you could say he looked more WWF sports entertainment at the time. Sting walked that fine line like nobody else. Right. inside of the NWA between those styles. I mean, at that time, he could have absolutely made a jump to sports entertainment and been an absolute home run just as well as he was down there wrestling, the, you know, the old Southern style in the NWA. So it was just an odd fit, an odd pairing, 
why it was working together, but I did absolutely appreciate the payoff. I, I think the other thing is too, the fans never bought it because the fans knew that they could not trust Ric Flair. So everybody felt like from the second this became a thing, Ric Flair is going to turn on Sting. Like, like we knew that there was no way this thing was going to last because, and it made Sting look like an idiot because everybody saw it coming because we knew that you could not trust Ric Flair. Ric Flair was the biggest slime ball in the history of professional wrestling at this point in time. And now you're trying to tell me that he's a babyface. Like nobody bought it. And, and, and I feel like that really, really hurt this whole thing. Like the storyline is great. But you also knew it was the storyline because nobody trusted Ric Flair in the role that he was put in. Now, is this something that hurt? Let me ask both of you this. Is this something that hurt the horsemen kind of going forward? Is we're talking about those those early groups that are together, you know, it's been the original and then you know, as we we all put over when Wyndham joins the group, we believe that they were a cohesive unit, that they were working together. It was like clockwork, a fine oiled machine. Luger and Sting enter enter the equation here and then from then on out it was really hard to trust that this group was ever on the same page that you're always kind of looking at who's looking over their shoulder who's going to want to try to get the best of the other you know the, the evil je monster jealousy raises its head and, and gets involved here i think once they they open that forbidden door that pandora's box it was hard to go back to believing that this unit was just about you know one thing and it was collectively just rolling over the entire wrestling world. I think they did finally get there, but I agree. It took an awful long time. To me, that Clash of Champions moment, though, when they do turn on Sting, when he, he thinks he's part of the group, he beats uh, Flair. He wins Starcade 89. He wins that, that, that kind of uh, round-robin tournament, if you will, the future shock. So he's technically owed a title shot. But, hey, the leader of the group, the guy that's the champion – is supposed to be the guy that we're all protecting here. So we thought, at least the Andersons thought that. So obviously they have that great promo. I love it because it seems so real. Like, okay, we'll give you till later on in the night. We'll give you, you'll, you know, you can have your decision. But then they cut that short, cut that right off, and then beat the crap out of them. To me, it seems so cool, so real, one of the best angles. It was just an awesome way to go to Flay or Sting and break apart because he didn't belong in the group anyway to begin with. So to break him off and then he's going to be feuding with them was cool, except for. He, Later on in the night when he goes to climb the cage, he tears his knee up pretty bad. And we have to wait like, you know, five months to, to get that po payoff and get that feud at Great American Bash 1990 when Sting wins the title from Flair. But to me, you're like, man, that was so cool. And that felt so real because you're like, oh, wrestling stuff. Oh, we'll get it to later on the night. And later on the night, he'll probably say he wants a title shot. No, that was so cool and so different and so unique and real. Like, you, you know, boom, cut it off right then there and beat the shit out of him. So yeah. cool. So well done. And I feel like it was a big turning point for WCW too, because in pause, I'm sure, you know, like, you know, buy rates and whatnot off the top of your head, but I feel like WCW as a company with the horsemen as baby faces, the rise of sting, they weren't necessarily in a very good spot. No, nope. Not at all. WF was at that point, they were yep. freaking killing it. But WWF, you know what, yeah. what, what helped bring WCW back before the whole NWO thing started was that sting versus flair feud which always drew great tv numbers too yep they went to that well a million times and it always drew well on tv i just love that that you could say sting was in the horseman 
But then they turned on his ass like they did a million, million other times. Of course, because uh, they're the horsemen. Yes. Yes. Yeah, they it's weird. It's like, okay, they can be baby faces, I guess, because the Dragon Master and Gary Hart and Buzz Sawyer and Funk and like there's no way in hell anybody's rooting for those guys. Well, maybe Funk, but the other guys, no way anybody's rooting for those guys. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, once they kind of vanquish them, it's like I'm not rooting for the horsemen. They gotta turn on Sting. Like, you know what I mean? You 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 wanted to see it coming, you had to see it coming, and it it was executed perfectly. It should have happened, obviously, because no way in hell you're rooting for the horsemen. I mean, they're heels to the bone. Well, and it was also kind of a, a rebirth of the horsemen, too. And they knew that when the horsemen getting back together, people were gonna pop, right? Like people wanted to see the horsemen, but then they had to get their heat back, brother, you know, and they, they found one hell of a way to get their heat back. So it's interesting that between the Wyndham horsemen and the Sting horsemen, there's basically is no horseman. We'll we'll get into that a little bit, I guess, cause since Rick loves the uh, Yamasaki Corporation. So Flair stays. J.J. Dillon eventually leaves, although there is some time where they basically kind of write him out of the storyline. He's still with the group with with Rick, and then eventually they, they kind of phase him out, too, and he goes to WBF and becomes the t- uh, head of talent relations over there, although at first there was really no name given to him, and he just had an office, but he was like a VP, basically. He's like, here you go. You're, you're in charge of the talent, but we don't really have a name for it quite yet, but you, know, you have a huge role in the WBF. Then Arn and Tully leave, as we know, and they were uh, tag champs. They lose to the Midnight Express. The Midnight Express become tag champs and U.S. tag champs. Great match in Philly. It's, if anyone's never seen the hard cam footage of that or the uh, the fan cam footage, I highly suggest checking that out. Awesome stuff. So really, I mean, you're left with Wyndham. Oh, nope. He leaves and goes to the WWF. Flair, if you think about it, he probably should have left at this point, went over and started yeah. the horseman of the WWF. Yep. Agreed with the with the best four together. Well, well JJ, pause, yeah. pause in your talks with you know with the people that have lived at the great minds that were behind the scenes that saw the back and forth. Really, the you know people want to look at you know the the Monday Night Wars. It's been going on for a long time where these towns are going back and forth. This had to be a, a very scary moment for the NWA. You know to think that hey, the four horsemen could be on their way to New York, could be heading yep. up north. Uh, how close really was that? The people that you've talked to, and what were the worries? Because I mean, because I mean, Flair, it was huge rumors back there, even on you know the newsletters and all that rumblings around that hey, he's gonna he's gonna take an offer and bail on this thing too. Was it like was it late eighty eight, eighty nine? Yep. So the interesting thing is they were worried about it. They definitely thought it could happen. They thought it was going to happen, and they thought Flair would go over. But then they were kind of thinking like, there's no way Vince is going to do the Horseman because that's the product of NWA. And like when Wyndham came in, there was no mention of anything. They obviously put Arn and Tully together, but they put him with Heenan. So it was just like, okay, and J.J. Dillon's just working backstage. Does Vince not want him on camera? Like it just seemed like they were going to bring all them in and they're just going to separate, except for Arn and Tully. They were just going to separate them anyway, which is just weird. Well, it kind of makes no sense. Well, maybe, you know, I'm thinking if you're Vince, though, don't look like a fool and tease it until you know you can deliver it. So, you know, once you have all the eggs in the basket, then you have a big moment, you know, as big as a moment as when they turn on Sting there. Now you've got these four guys aligning. Can you imagine if those four got together and were kicking the crap out of Hogan? Would have been awesome. I mean, that would have been blockbuster. I mean, that would have been something we'd be talking about as, a, as having a, a shaking effect on the industry, the likes of an NWO. 
The thing is, at this point, though, Hogan and Savage were in the midst of the Mega Powers and the Mega Powers exploding. That was the biggest business they've done. So, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know if the Horsemen could have outdone that feud. It's just, it would have been cool. But And I, I also have no faith in Vince bringing Flair in and saying that they're the full horseman. I just have no faith in it. He's just so weird with some of that stuff. I I know, just, yeah, you got, well, now you got the old creative wheels turning here, man. man you know, I just hey, I, I'm I just think thinking, so. you know, after Mega Powers, Hogan feuds with the horseman. Who's the perfect guy that has to come and save? You have the Mega Powers reunite to take on the horseman. <laughs> now, before Barry goes over, because obviously Arn and Tully go over first, then JJ, then Barry, it was interesting. They were kind of teasing that Barry Flair – JJ for like a hot minute there and Kendall Wyndham. Do you remember this? Was going to like be a horseman. He's never officially in the group, but at one point he gives the four fingers, which doesn't mean jack shit. doesn't mean anything, but it, I put him as the quote unquote associate or, or like almost member. But um, I just think that's funny. And Dick Bourne, who's, who's awesome from mid Atlantic gateway, mid Atlantic gateway.com does an awesome horseman book. And he lists um, Kendall Wyndham as like prospective member of the horseman. He was the young lion of the book of the bunch. But isn't that interesting? You did not have Arn, but you'd have Barry, Kendall, Flair, and maybe teasing, like, I guess maybe Ole, or it just, I don't know. To me, I'm like, I don't know about that. That's kind of strange. Yeah, because I mean, and I feel like even the Sting iteration of the Horseman, if it would have been Tully instead of Ole, I think it would have felt different too. Yes. Yep, because you know Oli wasn't really wrestling that much anymore. A right. little bit here and there, a little bit, but not much. He was kind of winding it down. Imagine Tully, who was supposed to come back twice, supposed to come back in 1990, and then supposed to come back again in 93. We'll get into that in a minute. But, man, imagine if he would have came back both of those times. Damn it. What well, is yeah. I, I'm trying to look up. Well, I can't what find his name here. Um, was who, who, had, who came in and took the book there when we had this, this makeshift three horsemen, really? If Oli. you will, was uh, George Scott had the book, but Oli was a part of the committee. Uh, Sullivan was a part of the committee, oddly enough. Um, and but isn't this the era when, the when in this the era when they brought Scott in and he ends up instead of like going with like a, a you trying to get you know stay with what things were hot, the direction he just brings in a bunch of his old cronies, guys he knows he can trust. He's getting them paydays. I mean, so they really go into a serious lull here. For the, yeah, for their creative. But it's funny. He's not like the head booker, but he kind of is because he's able to do whatever he wants. But he's supposed to be with Jim Ross and Cornette and Sullivan and like kind of being. Yeah, but in, I, in a I committee. remember talking. Well, you know, like, hear those guys talking about the frustrations of that time. Yeah, that, I mean, everything was just going on, falling on deaf ears. Yeah, basically him going into business for himself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, so, so this absolutely this this was complete garbage, and and then they bring in, uh, you know, the, their new spokesman here who can't even speak. Uh, Hiro Japanese, yeah, boy. yeah, your boy from the Yamazaki Corporation. From, yeah, yeah, but it's funny. Yamazaki remember they were Corp. teasing at one point ba- back in the day, like just to go over some of the random members. So Hiro Matsuda, the kind of teasing that he has some sort of affiliation with the group. Back in '87, when War Machine would kind of help out when JJ Dillon got hurt, they'd bring him in and he'd be in some of the matches. They kind of had him be part of the group. Obviously, that War Machine is really big, Bubba Rogers, who's kind of under a hood. But it's just one of those things. Where like, okay, not not really in the group doesn't count. Hiromat Soda, not really in the group. But they're kind of teasing that he's going to buy the horseman. Very weird. So then they were teasing. Remember Butch Reed? They were teasing Butch, for a Butch minute. Butch Reed. Michael P.S. Hayes, they were teasing for a minute. Like, it was weird. They were, like, almost throwing stuff out there. Like, who who could we restart the horseman with? Uh, not Hayes. He's a free bird. Butch Reed doesn't fit the group at all. Kendall Wyndham, hell no. Even though Barry's a god. Right. No way on Kendall. It just, it just seemed like they were striking out left and right here. 
It should have been Muda. If they well, would, I, I was just going to suggest they should have just just gone with an all Japanese version, and then hoped at some point they could regroup some people around Flair, maybe persuade enough of them to come back. Can so you have the horse with that arm, though? I mean, really. Well, that's why you're not saying you're not exactly calling them the horsemen, but you know what they're there to represent. They they have the same blueprint. It's like the dangerous uh, alliance. Like you know, yes. orange in it, it's kind of the horseman, but it's not right. really the horseman. So you right. so at that point, what you could have done, and I think you could at this point, this would have been a good way to get some great sympathy on Flair, have him as is maybe, you know, right there as that top baby, is he's trying to find a group now that will trust him enough to go to war with this group. I mean, they could have spun something out of it, but it was again, as you said, we've got Butch Reed because of his association with JJ, uh, yeah. with, with JJ upon his departure. They bring in Hayes, just looking for any kind of just, I guess, spark some energy for that audience, and it was a complete miss at this point. So yeah, and, go, and oh, well, sorry, and I always felt like Oli was only there at this point just to kind of fill time until they could get either Tully or Wyndham back. Hundred percent. I, I will say like this: this proves filler. though that that audience was very hungry for the return of their horsemen. Yeah. So then, eventually, when Orn does come back, we're supposed to get him and Tully together. Does not happen, as we know. So then, eventually, once they turn on Sting, once Wyndham has some of his legal problems resolved after leaving the WBF, that's neither here nor there. We won't get into that. Um, but Flair, Arn, Wyndham, and then they add in a fourth member here because there's no Tully. Would have been awesome to have Tully back here. Would have been awesome to have Tully go with yeah. Oli and have the original group. But then again here, so that's two times 90 could have returned. Then again here, Flair, Arn, Wyndham, and they add Sid. And I was hoping they were going to add Tully back to the group. So again, Sid is kind of the Luger of the group here. And it should have been better than it was. Yeah, Sid just never felt like he fit into a group of any kind. Like you could just look at Sid and he felt like the outcast. He was the guy that was not getting in the car, right? Like it just never felt right. It, it was great to have Wyndham back and it was like, okay, we're, we're, we're three quarters of the way there. And Sid, I guess it's okay. He's playing the Luger role. He He's not going to be around for a while. Like it's just, he never felt like he fit inside of a group like the horsemen or really anybody like Sid did not play well with others. And that was one of the things that made Sid cool. Or even, even when Sid was, you know, in backup roles, you know, like Deshaun Michaels and all that, it just felt off. Uh, I mean, this guy, he truly beats, you know, to the March of his own drummer. And that's what makes him incredible. You know, he, you don't know what he's going to do when he's going to do it does whatever the hell he wants. He destroys whatever the hell he wants. And that's what made Sid so, I mean, he was a psycho. That's what made him so incredible. I mean, it's the same where he lost, joining a group like this or being in an alliance, it's the same luster he lost when they tried making him Sid justice. It just wasn't the same vibe. It just wasn't the same persona, the same individual. And to me, I know a lot of people like this one. Yeah, it was. I mean, you look at some of the footage, the stills of it, it it's a cool visual. But when you watched it played out, I just think it was a huge miss. Now, I'm, I'm trying to think at this time who could have been uh, an appropriate plug-in. Tully. To get them going back. Yeah, Tully would have been the perfect one. Is, is he available right now? Isn't he, in his, isn't he still on the shelf? He's not available to come back? 
No, he was available. Okay. He was actually, as he said, he was backstage at one of the shows. So, I mean, he's there, think he's going to return. They offered him and his lawyer, they gave him the contract amount. Once he got to the building, bait and switch was half of what they said. So they're like, oh, you had uh, some drug problems in WWF. And it was like, okay, so uh, then he's really not available then because they're trying to lowball him on this thing. I'm trying to think of somebody that they actually have on the roster then. But technically, that, that, like, he should have been in a damn group. Like, it sucks. I don't know what they were doing or being cheapskates or Jim Hurd getting cheaper, you know, that Pizza Hut money or something. I don't know what's going on there. But was, yeah, was, mid, there. was Midnight around at that point? Was the Express in the company? Mm-hmm. Yep. They're dominating. Oh, you think it's Stan Lane? You want to put Stan Lane in the group? Nah, I was just gonna go go Arn Rick in the midnight with Cornette running his mouth. That's not bad at all. Hey, you know who works? You you know who trains Stan Lane, right? Rick Flair. Oh, yeah. I thought it was like a trick question or something. I asked and I asked Cornette that. I asked Cornette that and he said Flair gets credit, but he's like, you know what was really going on. Stan Lane knew. All the hot girls, obviously good looking guy himself. He's getting in with Flair. He's this young guy. He's like Flair's apprentice. So he's like, yeah, I'll teach you some holds and I'll teach you some wrestling stuff. <laughs> but they're really going out there getting girls because you know they're both blonde, good looking guys that kind of look alike, hey, but one's younger. I, like I was like, I'm oh, sure, I'm sure hey. they were talking a little shop, yeah. a little business in there yeah. somewhere. But I love that though. What a protege to have. Stan freaking lane. Sweet Stan. I, I I would have to sit and like look exactly at timelines and who when they left companies and went to other companies. But a couple of names that do come to me when I think of guys that man, they would have been a great horseman are Rick Rude and Kurt Henning. Those are the first two guys that always come to mind me for me when I think of Damn, they would have made a great horseman, especially hold Henning. Hold on till 1997, because we're going to talk about Henning being a horseman for a couple of weeks. If you if you remember yeah. what an honor it was. <laughs> but I mean, especially like at this point, like 1990, 1991. Oh, it yeah. It would have been so good. It, it, and Flair yeah, and him know, were boys, too. So they it, were like buddies. You, like, especially what he makes when Henning makes that move. From the AWA to the WWF, if they if they could have stepped in and snagged right. him at that point, we're talking about that young Greenhorn, you know, in the in the Luger or Sting role. Oh my perfect. god, he would have been incredible, incredible in that spot. I don't know. I think the visuals, yeah, you'd think with the attitude, the style, the swagger, rude. But I think he might have been a little overbearing in you know just running with that flair inside of the group as well if he had rude, a problem with bobby heenan he's gonna have a problem with flair rude to and me. flair yeah. together might have been like the young bucks in 1989 where it was just so over the top that it, it became ridiculous at a I, I think it's almost perfect the way it actually did play out where you have rude taking the reins of the dangerous alliance yeah in comparison to yeah to, to the four horsemen point, so yeah. I'll, I'll give it to them there they nailed that one good point god they used to do a lot of shit right <laughs> right what they would do some what the stuff hell wrong. happened to wrestling but they would do some stuff wrong as well because in 1993 as obviously flair leaves the wbf he comes back the dangerous alliance happens in the meantime with arn but then we get flair returning flair arn kind of only kind of and then paul roma gets added to the group yeah. so really it's a three-man group you can kind of consider only the fourth but not really um it's a two-man group pause it's only two we don't talk about Paul Roma as a horse. Whoa, we have Come to. Come on, what? man. Come on. You have oh, to. Oh, God. 
I, I think we can all agree this is by far the worst iteration of the Horseman, right? Well, I think you don't go even beyond. Is, is Paul Roma considered the worst Horseman? Yeah, but I well, think, I think at the time... Little, do you think it's a little disrespectful to Paul Roma? No. And, and here's the problem with Paul Roma. And it's not, it's not Paul Roma's fault. All right. Paul Roma as a talent was fine. Paul Roma was so damaged inside of the WWF booking and so defined as like a tag team wrestler who loses a bunch of matches that putting him into the horseman was just a joke. I, I would, I think he's, you look at the guy five tool. I'm going to say he's the Ryan leaf of professional wrestling at that point. You, know, you got all this, you know, all the tools just can't yeah. win the game. We're gonna put he him was out great, there. This though. This guy's gonna be a franchise player. Let's give him that horseman shine. Look what it did for Luger. Look what it look what it's done for Sting. Look, everybody else that's involved in this thing. It was on a stardom. Let's get this young kid an upstart. And they almost had that mindset of Vince himself that just goes and you know cherry picks people and t- totally forgets about their past. Oh, they're not gonna remember that. But we're gonna clean the slate. Here's the problem. You had a pretty smart fan base there. They were great though in power of glory and he was great and pretty wonderful he just doesn't fit with the horseman he's not horseman material here's a, a here's a problem for for paul roma he's defined in his career in power and glory yet he was a horseman yeah paul roma was really really good he wasn't a horseman that's a classic so, line baby so i love that line but so Next up is my favorite horseman, and you're going to be shocked by that. Maybe, maybe tied for favorite horseman, actually. But Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Brian Pillman, and Chris Benoit. I love this group, and I am teeter tottering. And if it's the best horseman of all time, because that's how much I love this group. They didn't get a long enough run, though. That's the only caveat. But man, just look at this. That whole turn on Sting, of course, again, is where where we start. But so you have Arn and Flair feuding. Then you have Flair turning on Sting, who begs him to be his tag partner. Havoc 95 happens. The main event ignore completely. That's trash. This angle was awesome. This was great. So you got Flair, Pillman, Arn together again, starting the horse move. Who's that fourth guy? They add in the young upstart, if you will. Not not so much of a young, and that's so much of an upstart, but to the global audience he was. And I know he was in WCW before in 93, but a lot of people did not remember that. And this is much you know, much more grand, he's now going to be a part of the Horseman. And, man, does this guy fit the Horseman and Horseman material more than Benoit? I mean, shit. I love this group, too. And, Paz, you nailed it. If it just would have lasted a little bit longer. Yep. Um, Pillman fit this group perfectly because he was he had all of the swagger and could talk and him and Flair bouncing off of each other was just absolutely incredible. The chemistry those two guys had there would have been big money later on down the road in a Pillman versus Flair feud if they could have kept things together. The problem was this was also about the same time Pillman was starting the loose cannon gimmick and. I, I don't even know if Flair knew what if he, what he could trust that came out of Pillman's mouth, whether it be on screen or off screen. And it was like the tension was there just too fast. It didn't last nearly long enough for what it could have been. Yep. I was going to say gimmick. <laughs> this, yeah, is what well, he just, this is what we just this, That's when he just starts letting this part of the personality out. Uh, right. that's, that's just been <laughs> kind of just swelling up with inside of him. Uh, I think, yeah, absolutely. So, so sweet but so, so short. This is the group that you make the true comparison to evolution. 
this is where you, you've got you've got that that old change of guard and, and old Arn. Guys. You've got you know that that Rick would play. Rick and this is kind of that Triple H spot, and then you've got the two upstarts that that are getting all the shine in the world here. Now, obviously, in here, Benoit and and Pillman, completely different kind of styles and energies than Orton and Batista, but the blueprint is there. This is where that comparison really lies in, and this is where generations meet. This is the, the old guard and the new school coming together right now to form this unit that's going to take over the wrestling scene at this time. This was hot, 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 hot news. Uh, but sadly, yeah, it just, you know, sometimes the politics, the backdoor business, those issues get in the way, and that's what happens here. Well, and when you talk about the politics, when you're feuding with the booker in real life, it doesn't typically result in the best booking for you. No, to, to me, because you know, we could do one like who's the best horseman. Everyone would say flair, flair, always oh, flair. Arn to me might be, but I always think like Benoit is like that perfect horseman in the perfect role. Obviously, being a couple different horsemen, but he was like, wow, that guy is so perfectly a horseman. I don't know, like he, he's not doesn't have to really cut that many promos. When he does, keep it short and sweet. He, I don't know the wrestling ability, the work rate. He could team with this guy, that guy. He can do one on one matches. Eventually, he could be in the main event. As you know, you, you swing things, swing, uh, swing things through. Easy for me to say, but to me, it's like, wow, Benoit, just perfect booking there. Like, man, I know yep. Orn had a say in that. I know Sullivan obviously had a say in that. Flair too. But it's like, wow, that was the perfect guy to be in the Horseman. I love it. Yeah, Benoit was a perfect horseman. Um, very much the same way that we talk about what what could have been with Kurt Henning a, a couple of years earlier. Benoit just fit that group, right? Like the horseman and the technical prowess that comes with being a horseman, Benoit defined to an absolute T. Yep. So the next group, the setup of this is awesome. Who it is is the only thing that kills it for me. So you have Pillman's gone. You want to restart the horseman a few months later. Rick, Arn, Benoit. Who's the fourth guy? Mongo, Rick, Michael. Man, if that's set up, and I always thought about, I don't know who the fourth guy would be. If that was done with somebody else, I would have loved it, and the horseman would have been great. But I don't know. Mongo apparently behind the scenes was their favorite horseman. A bunch of them have said that. Rick says this is his favorite horseman to hang out with. Um, Arn told me one time they were in Philly, and they literally lost him for a week. He showed up a week later at some house show, wherever the hell they were. He's like, that's just the kind of crazy party animal nut he was. And it wasn't like they were worried he was like going to die or something. It was just like, all right, he doing something. He's having fun. He met somebody. Okay. You know, good luck, Mongo. We'll see you in a week. But they love him behind the scenes. To me, in front of the scenes, he's, yes, Chicago Bear World um, Super Bowl champion. Yes, all-world player. He was a former all-pro. Like He's an awesome football player. Two left feet in wrestling. Didn't work for the horseman. On paper, maybe, but no, it doesn't work as a horseman. Everything about Mongo was great with the horseman until the bell rang. Yes. Like, he fit the group. He fit the image. He had the swagger. Like, everything about Mongo screamed horseman until the bell rang, and he couldn't back it up the way that the horseman always backed it up. Like, And that was the problem with Mongo. When, when we talk about the horsemen and you look at some of the names that we've talked about, the guys that were technically sound that were considered on the short list of the best wrestlers in the world. Those are the guys that worked as horsemen. And then there's guys like Mongo. 
Yeah, in this modern sense, I'm wondering is like I say, he represents the horseman lifestyle. You know, he's already a champion of champions uh, crossing over into this thing. He absolutely had a tremendous passion for professional wrestling, chasing the, you know, the career here after, after professional football. But yeah, when the bell rang, I mean, hell, does he still have his Twitter account dedicated to him? <laughs> the, the, the Mongo botches. No, I think uh, he put that down. Oh man. I mean, that, that provided, or was it, we love Mongo. <laughs> Is that what it was? Uh, that probably provided hours, hours of classic entertainment. I, I wonder the if thing it would have worked. In his defense though, he was never trained. Like he went to the power plant once. He was never trained to be a wrestler. They just thought he had so much personality and he had so much charisma, obviously. And, and he had so much, um, that, that's what I'm wondering for being an NFL football player. They just threw him out there. He wasn't really trained. This I, isn't I wonder... like Kevin Green, where the guy can naturally just do it, even though he wasn't trained either. Green was like, shit, this guy's got something. Mongo was like, man, this guy needs to go back to the power plant for a while and train, but he didn't. Well, and then why wasn't he put in that role? Why wasn't he utilized player in, and that, in, in that? But I mean, why wasn't he in that position where he was their hype man? He's out there making the connections, growing the horseman brand. He's hosting their celebration parties. He is their, he is their personal voice in the booth where he came from why you know he's sitting over there with the lap dog with the you know the little horseman sweater on with the diamond collar why why weren't they utilizing him in that direction to get the most out of him with a run with the horseman yeah i i feel like the thing with mongo is if you had to find a spot like if the office told you we have to have mongo mcmichael on your roster and and you just had to find somewhere to book him somewhere to stick him the horseman was the right fit. Like he fit everything about the horseman. He just couldn't freaking wrestle. Right. You know? So I, I, I get it and I hate it, but I completely understand it all at the same time. Yeah. I, this is what I'm glad we talking out because, you know, I was one of those, okay, it's right up there with Roma. This is a complete miss, but now I think it, they didn't, they didn't properly utilize a tremendous strength that they could have had here. Yeah, it's not like they set him up for success. You know what I mean? They didn't put him in the right. best possible positions. That's on them. Um, of course, there's a group here, and I know there's much contention with uh, Jeff Jarrett and his podcast. And I just had Jeff on. We were joking around about it, if he's a horseman or not. I have him in the associate member list. I do not have him in the horseman list, um, even though he says he's a horseman. I know Flair says it, but obviously he reneged on it. <laughs> Arn kind of said it once in passing, but then every other time, even storyline-wise, driven-wise, he said you're not a horseman when they kick him out of the group they said you were never a horseman so obviously i'll just put jared in the associate member group and uh, skip forward to flair benoit mongo and hennig as arn anderson retires so technically kurt hennig is a horseman even though it's only for a few weeks turns on flair puts the steel cage in his in his head busts him open and turns nwo and as we talk about the next horseman that comes in like the next real guy that i consider to be a horseman if you would have had hennig in the spot where mongo is it might have been my favorite one ever you know like as you look back and you think if we just could have taken mongo out we had a couple different guys that we could have put in there alongside of malenko and it would have been a complete reinvention of the horseman like if you would have had benoit malenko hennig and flair that to me screams for horsemen. It's just Mongo being in there. That's what really throws the wrench into things. And the same thing with Jarrett, even if it would have been, you know, Malenko, Jarrett, Benoit, and Flair, 
that would have felt very, very different as well. And it would have worked. I Jarrett is one of those guys. I'm not a huge Jeff Jarrett fan, but he would have fit that horseman mold and he yeah. would have fit it very, very well. I agree. I wonder how much backstage politics played into this thing to keep heading out for any extended run. Jargo, that horseman group that you just rambled off there of Flair, uh, who we got Malenko, Benoit, and Heading, they're going to rival popularity on the NWL. Yeah, I mean, that would have been fantastic. Those four guys together would have been absolutely I, I think you, you see, I think you see the horsemen there, T-shirts dominating NWO sales. Hey, I got to have a feeling that, you know, the powers that be, you know, the, the political pool, the swag in the back are like, no, 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 brother. No, that no, doesn't brother. work for me, brother. So the final group. Rick so, Flair. Yes. so, yes, pause. Your a-hole Hogan worked his way into this conversation. Oh, of course, of course. Shout um, out to racist, sexist Hulk Hogan. The hey, let's not get into that again, Rick. Uh, uh, Jargo. So, Flair, Benoit, Mongo, and Malenko are the final four horsemen group there. Um, I wish it was Arn instead of Mongo and then Malenko. Then I think that would have been a pretty formidable group itself, right there. Malenko fit the horsemen like a yeah. freaking glove. Yeah, 100%. And especially. Malenko could just freaking dominate inside of that cruiserweight division and just go out there and out wrestle all these luchadors and just strap them to the mat and go to work on them. It, his style was so contrasting with the rest of those cruiserweights that you absolutely bought Dean Malenko as one of the elite of the elite and that Iceman kind of character just fit the horseman so freaking well. It was great. And you could just see like the chemistry between Malenko and Benoit on full freaking display. Absolutely great stuff. So who is the greatest four horseman of all time? Let's start with Rick. Since, since we always start with Jargo, let's start with Rick. Well, gentlemen, say, uh, I usually have an idea of where I'm going. I'd like to have the conversation, see if you could sway me in any direction, but this time uh, I'm going to ride with the horseman that I rode in with. Uh, I'm going my number one. I'm going with the group of Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Tony Blanchard, and uh, big old Wyndham, Barry Wyndham. Jargo, what do you got? The Widowmaker. I'm right there with him. I'm going Flair, Anderson, Blanchard, and Wyndham. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Barry Wyndham. I always thought that he was so freaking underrated. Yeah, that's that's what I'm going with. Flair, Anderson, Blanchard, and Wyndham. So my favorite one might be Flair, Arn, Benoit, and Pillman. I love that one. But the best one to me, I'm in agreement. Flair, Arn, Tully, and Wyndham. Love that group. That is an awesome one. I have an awesome picture in my office hidden this way. Flair, Arn, Barry, Tully, and JJ. So, you know, obviously with them all together with a nice horseman logo. But that's, to me, that's the best one. They all agree that that's like, if you want to put the best wrestlers out there, they said you can't get better than like, look, how the hell can you get better than us and Barry Windham? You know what I mean? You just, you just can't get better than, than those guys. So I'll agree uh, with that. We're in agreement here. They're the greatest four horsemen group. Just want to also mention just randomly some guys that were also kind of played roles. David Flair, they were teasing with the horsemen. Charles Robinson, Bobby Heenan was kind of the, Manager for the horse, like the coach. Yep. So the woman of the four horsemen, a woman herself, Dark Journey, Baby Doll, Double D, aka Asia, Tori Wilson. At one point, they were teasing Deborah McMichael, of course, Fifi the Maid, Miss Elizabeth, and member Patty Mullen was a uh, biased judge cheating for the four horsemen. So wanted to mention all them as well, and also wanted to mention just some maybe 
horseman ripoffs through the years. A lot of people say NWO. I kind of disagree, but yes, in in essence, maybe um, if you want to say factions, but not really horseman esque. The Dangerous Alliance for sure uh, it has because Orange in it, and you're and you're a faction. Yes, the Extreme Horsemen, obviously, uh, Fortune, obviously, and then of course the Pinnacle in AEW right now trying to be a horseman ripoff and then i have the four horse woman of the wb and the four horse woman of mma so i mean four horsemen have getting copied left and right what, what about the conspiracy horsemen oh forgot about them yes you're right okay. and the the only other one that i would throw out there and people are going to think that i am insane when i say it it's bullet club um, and, and specifically the ring of honor version of bullet club. When you had Adam Cole running on top alongside of the young bucks with hangman page, it was very much set up the same way that original horseman group was set up where you had your world title guy, your mid card title guy and your tag team. Yeah. I wouldn't say that they, they're ripoffs. You're just taking a, a tremendous the formula for success and, and you're applying across the board. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think, Hey, if it's working, if it's found that great success, even if you can duplicate that of just a small percentage of that, you're going to have a good deal going forward. Let's head towards the plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out the website, tmptempire.com. And of course, Patreon, patreon.com slash tmptempire. Jargo. Social media at not Jargo, michaeljargo.com at markmedia.com. Um, and then I will be over this week once again on the No DQ review this Thursday Ooh. night. Nice. Rick, what do you got, Rick? Hey, uh, out there listening to us here, who is the greatest horseman group? If you want to dive deep dive into about anything imaginable, horsemen, right now you can listen for free. Well, no charge until January over at patreon.com backslash TMPT Empire. We've got the uh, the full catalog from the J.J. Dillon Show uh, where Paz sat down with Mr. Dillon and they go over his great career. Plenty of tremendous horseman talk inside of that. Again, no charge until January. Patreon.com backslash two-man TMPT Empire. Uh, also, go on over to YouTube where we're currently releasing the 12 Days of Dr. Tom. We're going to have full-length episodes of taking you to school with Dr. Tom throughout the holiday season. Uh, we're going to try to find the best episodes as he kind of deep dives into uh, his involvements in some of the biggest biggest stars, careers, and developments in their progression through the, through the world of professional wrestling. Again, Patreon and YouTube, Two Man Power Trip Empire. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, Jargo. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. We'll see you right back here next week for a little bit of who is. See you next week, folks. Merry Christmas. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother.